Have you ever felt a twinge of worry about AI taking over your job or diluting your creativity? Well, what if you could turn that fear into creative fuel? We've just published an amazing new ebook called The Four Keys to Success in an AI World. And this is more than just a guide. It's a deep exploration into the human skills that AI can't touch. The skills that are essential for standing out and thriving, no matter how much technology evolved. We're talking about real differentiators here like creativity, emotional intelligence, critical thinking, and much more. Inside, you'll find actionable insights and strategies to develop these skills, whether you're a creative person, a business person, or just simply someone who loves personal development. This isn't a story about tech taking over. It's a story of human creativity thriving alongside AI. Picture this, AI as your creative co-pilot, not just as a tool, but a collaborator that enhances your unique human skills. The Four Keys ebook will show you exactly how to do that and view AI in a new way that empowers you instead of overshadows you. Transform your creative potential today. Head over to unmistakablecreative.com slash four keys. Use the number four, K-E-Y-S. That's unmistakablecreative.com slash four keys and download your free copy. I started learning through listening to podcasts about the comedy communities. And then when I found out that you, it was a thing just like skateboarding, it's like, you just go do it. Literally, if you want to do stand-up comedy, just find an open mic and just go try it. You know, and that was really, really cool to me. So I moved to Minneapolis and started doing stand up. And then ultimately, the other piece was um, that's how my sexuality came out was it was just like, there's so much self reflection that you do when you're trying to write jokes and like understand and you're, you're just constantly digging into like, okay, why? Okay, and then why? And you just kind of trace it all the way back. And it's really hard. It's really hard to hide your sexuality when you're doing that to yourself, at least, is what I experienced. <laughs> I'm Srini Rao, and this is the Unmistakable Creative Podcast, where you get a window into the stories and insights of the most innovative and creative minds who've started movements, built thriving businesses, written best selling books, and created insanely interesting art. For more, check out our 500-episode archive at unmistakablecreative.com. Bjorn, welcome to The Unmistakable Creative. Thanks so much for taking the time to join us. Absolutely. It's really, I'm, I'm really excited to be on. <laughs> yeah, it is my pleasure to have you here. So I actually found out about your story because you wrote in and, uh, you know, I think when I saw the words you know, professional skateboarding, I was like, okay, as a, you know, avid surfer and snowboarder and board sports junkie who will pretty much do anything that involves a board under my feet. It was like, yes, I definitely want to hear this story. But uh, before we get into all that, uh, I want to start by asking you, what social group were you a part of in high school and what impact did that end up having on the choice? that you've made throughout your life and where you've ended up today? So the social group that I was a part of in high school was I was definitely the like snowboarder kind of bro-y guy. Uh, I had a crew of friends, but like snowboarding and skateboarding was like my whole life. Like everything, like nothing else really mattered. I really like just, I would, I like I would sit in class and draw up designs for like, my my snowboarding extended it's like a creative expression so it's either like uh it's it's like with tricks or with features and i was like really industrious and like really into building stuff so i would draw like rails and i got like really into building and welding and just making these wild things for like me and my friends to try and do tricks on and it was purely just for fun uh 
And then we ended up like, like we would take videos and I actually ended up becoming like a sponsored professional snow skater. Um, and that was a huge part of my identity and my life was around this whole, this sport called snow skating. It's a, it's a skateboard for the snow. So it's, it's kind of like a hybrid between the two. It's like a snowboard that you're not connected to. I don't, I know that you're a snowboarder. I don't know if you've seen much of, of these. They're, they're still kind of obscure. But, yeah. Uh, so is it basically like, you know, instead of, of, you know, snowboarding down a mountain where you're strapped in, you're basically not strapped in and you're going on flat surfaces? Um, basically, yeah. So there's, there's okay. two different styles. There's the, the, the single deck which is more for like tricks and it's just like a skateboard with no trucks or anything on it. It's just like that goes on the snow. And then there's the, the bi-level or bi-deck skateboard, uh, snow skate where it's like a little ski on the bottom and then it has like a skateboard deck on top. Uh-huh. And the, the bi-deck style one, you can actually ride like mountains. I mean, like it's, it's kind of, um, it's been the wild west for a while on it. Like whether ski areas allow it or not. And like sometimes there's a rule, sometimes there isn't a rule. And it was kind of like a fun new sport to get into because I was, so I was really into snowboarding and what happened to me in high school was I got to a level with my snowboarding where the, to, to take risks or to, to feel, um, I think I'm an adrenaline junkie. I'm sure you are as well. Cause you talk about oh, yeah. snowboarding a lot and, uh, I need to constantly, um, and this is this has become sort of a theme in my life actually is like I have to take risks to feel normal or like I have to um do a lot of things like I have to get some adrenaline at some point during my week just to feel normal and um but what happens is you 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 kind of adjust to what's normal and what gives you that that hit of adrenaline and what was happening with snowboarding was I was getting to this level where I was doing more flips, more spins, going bigger. And it was getting like, the stakes were getting really dangerous. And then I kind of discovered this other sport of snow skating where it was kind of smaller. It was a little bit more like uh, like skateboarding. I could still get that that feeling and that, that of taking those risks, but I wasn't going 20 feet in the air and flipping over twice, you know? <laughs> like, mm-hmm. So what happened was I, I just got really into building these... Um, I built these like insane snow skate parks in my yard. And um, I would just like during the summer, I would just be welding in my garage and just coming up with these really wild, like just whatever my brain could come up with. And I would just make these wild rails. We had like, um, we had like rainbows and double uh, like S rails. And I even made like a full circle rail. I started on a loop rail, but I never, <laughs> I never finished that one. I think my mom put the kibosh on that one. But um, yeah, this was so. This was in Montana, so we had kind of a big yard, and my social group turned into like all my friends that would like help me with these projects, and we would like put these um, giant parks together, and then that ended up turning into starting events. And running events because I had all of these rails. So like I actually started getting hired by the local ski hill because I had more cool like this was so this was in I graduated in 2005. So this was in the early 2000s. Ski areas were starting to come around to like snowboard parks and putting up rails. And I had more interesting stuff going on in my backyard than they had at our local ski hill. 
Uh, it's called Whitefish Mountain Resort now, but at the time it was called Big Mountain. They rebranded, I don't know, in like 2010 or something. But they actually ended up hiring me a couple times to to run some little events, um, like snow skate events and uh, snowboard events and things. Uh, but yeah, all through high school, I I started doing. I kind of moved into this like weird event space and this built like park building. And that was a huge identity for me. Like was, was this, this sport, uh, it was a pretty obscure sport. So I, sorry, I'm a little all over the place with it. Uh, but I ended up getting sponsored in snow skating and then, um, and so then it really took off. I had, uh, I started this event in my, in my town called the Yeti snow skate jam. And uh, it actually, at one point, it was the biggest snow skate event in the world. And we had people flying in from all over the world just to be in this event. And it was just all my my friends and I put it together. And like it just grew to this really big thing. We did it for, I think, six years. Um, and it was, that was, a, I mean, that was a huge, had a huge impact on my life, you know, because I, I talk to people sometimes and they, you know, they're like, we're like, some people are afraid of their kids like getting into skateboarding or snowboarding and it's like, oh, it's going to be this path of drugs. And I don't know, mine was like learning construction and welding techniques and like yeah. <laughs> event promotion. <laughs> like really had a big impact on my life. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. 
So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. As creators, we're always on the move. Whether it's a live podcast event, a pop-up shop, or a workshop, we're constantly interacting with community, and that's where Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe comes in. Imagine this. You're at a live event, a listener loves your merch, or a participant wants to sign up for your course on the spot. With Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe, you can accept their payments right there and then, right from your iPhone so there's no extra hardware or no delays. Total game changer. It's not just for creators. Any business owner can do this. It's about making transactions smoother and much more personal, growing your business in your way. We've been using Stripe for our products and courses for a long time, and now with Tap to Pay on iPhone, you can take your business to the next level too. So visit stripe.com slash tap iPhone to learn more. Remember, folks, with Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe, your business is always at your fingertips. Um, it's funny you say that because I think that even surfers, like there's this documentary step into liquid and, you know, these Australian guys like surfing is really unfairly stereotyped in the United States because of, you know, Jeff Spicoli and that whole fast times at Ridgemont High thing. And yeah, yeah 10 years of surfing, I never met, I, I, I've never met any surfer who's like that. But it, it's funny you bring up the parents not wanting to, you know, have their kids get into it because literally the only toy that was actually within their means, my parents refused to buy me when I was a kid was a state skateboard. And I told yeah. my mom, I was like, this is what happens. Now you have a son who has a pathological need to tie boards to his feet. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's, it's probably why I play so many video games now. Cause I was not allowed to have them as a kid. Yeah. <laughs> well, I think the, the other thing that really struck me, um, two questions. It's come from this, uh, one, how old were you when you started this? And, uh, you mentioned this idea of risk and how you need to keep taking risks to feel alive. And what's funny is for so many people, I feel like it's the exact opposite. Their tolerance for risk gradually declines with age. And I, I feel like, you know, your tolerance for risk and what you're capable of accomplishing are kind of birds of a feather. Why does yeah. that happen to people? And, and how do they actually rebuild their tolerance for risk just based on your experience from, you know, doing action sports? Yeah, so so my, uh, I'll just give like a quick, um, like, timeline on mine. So mine was action sports. And then I started getting hurt too much, like, like where it was like affecting my job and like my ability to make money. So I needed to pivot. And that's when I picked up stand up comedy. Um, and then during the pandemic, actually, I, um, I learned to ride a motorcycle and started riding motorcycle. And it's so much like snowboarding or skiing or any of that for me, because it and, and it's this great way of just like, I can just ride around my neighborhood and get that same rush um, that I'm looking for. But I definitely found myself in my later 20s getting a little bit depressed when I wasn't, when I started taking less risks, when I started just kind of like working a regular job and not, and, and like, because I was getting hurt, I slowed down on my skateboarding, I slowed down on snowboarding. Um, and then I, I kind of got out of the industry and I was working on starting my business and sort of moving into more of a business realm. And I found myself getting kind of like, honestly, a little bit depressed and I couldn't figure out why. And then I started doing stand-up comedy. And that was a great way for me because uh, public, uh, public speaking is honestly one of my biggest fears and it always has been. So for me, every time I hit the stage doing comedy, I'm get it's like jumping out of an airplane. Like it is, it's the ultimate rush for me. And it's a great safe way of me to, for me to do it without 
putting my body in harm. It's just like emotional harm, I guess. <laughs> mm-hmm. But uh, that was sort of my solution is I just, I've had to adjust and find different ways because otherwise it's just, my life just feels so boring and I need, I need something to feel alive. Yeah. Uh, even though it's a, it's a lot of times it is a high risk thing. And I think it's, it's so important because we get into this, like, especially like last year with COVID, it was like, we're in this like safety shell thing. And I just don't think humans are meant to do that. You know, I don't think we're, it, it's, it's like this thing where we're all like going for it, being safe. And, and, but at the same time, like we need to take risks to feel alive and feel happy, at least for me, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so, you know, one other part of your story that I, you know, I've been privy to is the fact that you're gay. And I, I remember, you know, I think the, the first attempt we made to do this, we kind of were trying to talk about it, but we didn't quite get to the depth that I wanted yeah. to talk about. But, um, so, you know, these are questions that I, I always ask people, but, you know, about sort of coming out. One, you know, tell me about the experience of, of coming out to your parents. And then I think there's this bizarre sort of um you know, paradox almost to the fact that you're gay because you're, you know, this action sports athlete, which typically, you know, you wouldn't connect the two. Um, right. So I wonder, you know, what is that experience like first of coming out to your parents and then to your friends? So I came out in, um, let's see, I was 27. So it was like, I think 2012 or 13 when I came out. So it was right around... Um, so I'll, I'll answer like with my friends. I was very nervous about it. Um, it was my my experience was I I listened to this podcast that I was a huge fan of. Um, Todd Glass is a stand up comedian, and he came out on the Mark Marin podcast. And I remember this so vividly because I had to I was listening to it in my car and I had to pull over because he was saying things that were in my head, and it was just like it was that moment where everything switched for me. I had just been in up until that point, I had been completely in denial to myself, my friends, to everybody. And like, I definitely had this, um, like, for me, I think it was coming out in a kind of not so great way of like, I was going very aggressive into snowboarding and skateboarding and in in almost a self harm zone of like, I, that's how hard I would go at these sports. And I never understood why it was it was there was just like this sort of self hatred that was happening. And but and it was it was so liberating when I when I start when I just let go of that whole thing. And I mean, I, I don't skate as hard as I used to because of it. So it's almost like that's an interesting aspect I wasn't expecting. But uh, when I so when I came out, I was my mom was fairly liberal. She was like, bleed, she still is bleeding heart liberal. So I was like, not worried at all. My dad and I have kind of a, a an interesting relationship, but I, I didn't know what to expect. And what I remember happening was when I came out to my mom, she was very surprised and was less receptive than I expected. And that kind of um, made me nervous about the whole process. Like, cause I was like, oh, this one's no problem. This one's a slam dunk. And then it wasn't. And she wasn't so okay with it. And then, and then I came out to my dad and he was just totally fine with it. He actually, I think low key used it as a um, way of getting closer to me, which is great, which is amazing. And we are much closer than we ever were before that. But 
in retrospect, when I think about it with my mom, it was because I was much closer to my mom than I was with my dad. And I think it was a little bit of my mom thought she knew me. And there was this whole thing that she didn't know. And I feel like it was a little, it felt like for her was a bit of a betrayal. Like, but in reality, I was lying to myself. It wasn't that I was lying to her for all these years. I wasn't being honest to myself, let alone anyone in my immediate. Now with my, with my friends, I, most of them, I was, I was pretty sure they were all going to be cool with it. And most of them were, I had like probably my best friend in the whole world, um, a snowscape buddy of mine. I was a little nervous because I knew that he had grown up religious and in 2013, I was living in Minnesota in Minneapolis and there was this, this measure. I don't remember what it was specifically. It was like, you know, like proposition, whatever. And what it was is they were trying to make gay marriage like super illegal. Like it already wasn't legal, but they were trying to make it completely like constitutionally illegal in the state of Minnesota. And what happened was it kind of opened the floodgates and people started having the conversations and it ultimately got overturned. And then they went the next step and legalized it before it was legalized um, nationally. It was legalized like in Minnesota, which was really cool. But the cool thing about the convenience for me was it was, it was a great way to segue the conversation and kind of like see what their thoughts were before I came out to them. So I would just be like, oh, what do you think about this thing? And then they would give their thoughts. And I remember I did that with my friend and, um, and he, he was pretty open to it. And he was just like, you know, he was really cool about it. And so I was able to segue that conversation into actually coming out to him. And, um, and we ended up becoming a lot closer and, and we're still really good friends. And I really haven't had anyone in my life that's been not supportive, which has been amazing. And I really, I think that is a testament to like, who my friends are. And I'm, and I was, you know, there was part of me that was a little regretful that I didn't come out earlier because, but maybe the timing was just the right time or, you know, we can only yeah. do so much, you know? <laughs> well, I mean, I, I think there's, there's so much here to sort of dig deeper into, you know, you yeah. mentioned that, you know, the person you were lying to was yourself and, and you mentioned 27. I mean, that's a long time to, yeah been lying to yourself uh so it, one did you have a sense that you were gay when you were younger did you have girlfriends like was there anything that you know sort of indicated that you you knew this like deep down um and you know i i think everybody has their own version of this whether it's coming out as gay or, or you know something that you just you know desperately want to say i don't know why i keep thinking about that you know sarah Bareilles song brave because you know, yeah. i wake up every morning and play it in the shower for some reason <laughs> uh but you know, people have some version of this in their lives. And so I wonder, you know, I mean, obviously, there's like three questions in one, you know, did you know, you know, why did it take so long? And what would you say to other people who feel like they've been lying to themselves, whether it's in a context like this or any other one? So I would, I, I'll, I guess I'll, I'll try to remember all of the questions. Uh, so I would say it was like taking off a heavy backpack when I finally did let go of it. The biggest thing for me was not having to feel like I put everything through a filter. I always had this, like my number one, I mean, it's crazy. I looked back at one of my original comedy notebooks and the first thing that I wrote in it 
is my biggest fear, because I was like, all right, what's my biggest fear about doing stand-up? And my biggest fear was that people would think that I was gay, which is laughable now because that is all I talk about. No, uh, but, <laughs> <laughs> no uh, it's, it's really interesting. That was my number one fear was that people were going to think that I was gay. And that would be sort of top of mind. And I was always putting everything I did and said through a filter. I think part of it was growing up in Montana where it's it it's still not super welcoming there honestly it's better than it used to be when i was growing up but like i didn't know any gay people i knew one gay person and um and they passed away um in under like weird circumstances where it was just like they like didn't really investigate it they just kind of died and there was some weirdness around that so for me i was like kind of equating like oh if you're gay then you're not safe. And and may, whether or not that, that's true or not, I've asked my parents again about it, but I do remember very young being like, you know, what happened to this person? And they just kind of, they, 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 um, they died in, on their property and it wasn't investigated. And I just, I do very much remember that. That was the one gay person that I was aware of. And that definitely pushed me back into the closet, I think, whether I was aware of it or not. Part of why I was able to be in denial for so long is like, it's weird to say this, but like my type is not your Adonis, typical, the like out there gay person. Like I, uh, I'm kind of a part of the bear community, which is more of the like masculine identifying gay men. Um, So like beards and flannels and all of that. I was always attracted to that, but I didn't equate that with sexuality i thought it was just like oh this is a man that i respect you know and and i was like i just want this is what i want to be and i had kind of i that was what kept me in denial for such a long time is anytime i saw a gay person in the media or anything they were depicted in a certain way and i was like well i'm not into that so not gay like all right back in the closet for 10 more years it would just be like so so it wasn't until like the big thing with the Todd Glass interview is he was talking about how he was attracted to masculinity. And that was just like, for me, that was like, oh, everything makes sense. Because yeah. I did try to date women and I did date women. It, and when I think back on it, most of the time when I would get a girlfriend would be when somebody would question my sexuality and then like the next day I'd have a girlfriend. Just to sort of like, prove them wrong or I, I some people call it a beard um but i was never it it was always like a just to prove that i wasn't gay it wasn't like i wasn't really into these women and i feel bad saying that you know uh but they definitely were putting on a, a front and i i really wish that there had been more representation of a of a broader idea of what a gay man can be and so that's like part of my own personal um like i like to do every i always like to have a why behind whatever everything that i do and part of my driving force behind my comedy and why i think my comedy is so important is to be that representation of somebody that is not your typical flamboyant gay man or a drag queen or which i respect all of those but for me personally, like I never identified with that. I never 
I, and I think it's so important to, to have like more representation of like, of how broad, you know, sexuality can be. And, and even like, cause there is a little bit of with the, the bear community, it's a little bit, it's almost like masculine drag. And sometimes the reason I, I think the reason behind that is it comes out of hiding. Like, it's almost like I went so far in the masculine trying so hard to not be gay that I went all the way around to the other side and it was like, no, actually I'm gay. <laughs> like I, and, and now I, you know, like I'm wearing a camo hat right now. <laughs> like I, I still kind of rock a more masculine aesthetic and, and, and that appeals to me and I like it, you know? <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. I guess the, the other sort of question from that is, you know, I think everybody has a version of you know, whatever it is that they're sort of hiding for the world or, or afraid to share with the world that kind of is, you know, the weight of the world on their shoulders. Like you said, you know, you let it go and suddenly you feel like this huge, you know, weight has been lifted. Yeah. Uh, what do you say to people? I mean, you know, like I said, whether it's in this context or any other about, you know, letting that go, because I think that's easier said than done. The other thing is that I think you were really fortunate that the response and support was overwhelmingly positive. Like we had another guest here who basically became estranged from his father after mm-hmm. he told him. And, you know, there's that side of the story too. Yeah. I mean, I, I just had an interesting experience of um, my, my last grandmother just passed away and I did have, I mean, it was with my friends and my immediate family. It's been pretty overwhelmingly positive. Some of my uncles and things are a little bit less um, supportive and definitely my grandparents were not. and. It was this weird experience of like, I just, so I went to my last grandmother's funeral and I, I missed my grandfather's funeral and I also missed the last, the last Christmas I was going to go home. My mom, um, whether or not she asked directly or indirectly was basically like, don't come home for Christmas because grandma and grandpa are going to be there. And they're very, um, they're very, they're military and we're not really okay with my lifestyle. I think at the time it was, maybe it was, she didn't want me to bring my um, boyfriend at the time home, but, and I wanted to. And that was the last time I would have seen either of them because I, my life kind of went in a few different directions and I wasn't able to go home any other times. And so I haven't seen them for, I hadn't seen them until like, I mean, I, until they passed away and that, that was hard. And, and that is something that I'm always a little nervous about, you know, with, with some of my relatives that I, I don't know if they're comfortable with it or not, or, um, it has changed that relationship a little bit and it's sort of made me more, I don't know, like less, less a part of the family. And, and I almost have estranged myself a little bit out of fear of wanting to avoid that. Like I, I want to keep those memories of them that I have that are positive and I really didn't want to change them. And so there is a lot of, for me, there's, there was a lot of guilt with this latest funeral that I went to. And a lot of my cousins were, you know, saying that I shouldn't feel guilty and for not, for not reaching out or not really seeing my relatives. But 
it, it's it's tough with those other generations. And I think I, I kind of kept myself safe. And whether or not that was a good choice, you know, it's it's weird with with aging family and changing times, you know. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters, May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply, if rated PG. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. As creators, we're always on the move. Whether it's a live podcast event, a pop-up shop, or a workshop, we're constantly interacting with community, and that's where Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe comes in. Imagine this, you're at a live event, a listener loves your merch, or a participant wants to sign up for your course on the spot. With Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe, you can accept their payments right there and then, right from your iPhone so there's no extra hardware or no delays. Total game changer. It's not just for creators. Any business owner can do this. It's about making transactions smoother and much more personal, growing your business in your way. We've been using Stripe for our products and courses for a long time, and now with Tap to Pay on iPhone, you can take your business to the next level too. So visit stripe.com slash tap iPhone to learn more. Remember folks, with tap to pay on iPhone and Stripe, your business is always at your fingertips.
Yeah. Well, I mean, speaking of which, you you earlier alluded to this idea of you know different representations of of sexuality. What do you think that we should be teaching kids in school? Because you know, I mean, the extent of sex education is here's your sperm su- swimming under a microscope. You yeah. know, you end up uh, basically getting people pregnant. Uh, don't have sex. <laughs> like that's right, basically right. you know fifth grade sex education, which teaches you absolutely nothing about sex. Uh, but you know, as somebody who is gay. If you were given the opportunity to incorporate your life experience into you know, how we educate children about this, what would you actually do? I really think it's kind of a weird way of my approach would be almost like it's not a big deal. Like that was that was part of the weirdest thing about coming out was just like how much it wasn't a big deal. Like for so many people, I almost whenever whenever somebody's like, I don't know how to react. I was like, you should react because it's a big deal to this person. If they're coming out to you, you need to kind of give them a somewhat big reaction, not like maybe overtly negative, but like it's it's a it's a hard thing. It should be celebrated, but I I think it should also be like this. Like it's not as big a deal, and that because I really wish that had been shown to me. Because I I really built it up um, to be this huge thing. And it really ultimately, at the end of the day, it was not that big of a deal. And I, re- I just really wish that there was more, that I had seen more uh, representation of like what my version of sexuality is. You know, that that's really the biggest part for me. I think about this a lot. Like I can't even imagine like when you're a kid and you're trying to figure out who you are and you have no idea. And then now you have to also figure out your sexuality. It's like, that sounds so stressful to me. I'm kind of glad that I, I figured it out more in my, um, in my twenties than when I was younger. But you know, it's, I think there's benefits to, to all of it. And I really like that I'm seeing a lot of like, the movies even like Love, Simon are are so good to have that because even that representation is like, he's not in that movie, he's not like your stereotypical gay. And it, that, he, he was just like me, you know, in high school. It was just like, oh, he's, you know, into music. And I mean, mine would be like skateboarding and snowboarding, but it's the same, the same thing, like that you could be a football player or you could be a skateboarder like, and, and be gay. And it's not, it's not just this one idea that of what it is and of what sexuality is. But I also think that there's no, there should just, they shouldn't put pressure to make the decision either. (laughs) Like, I'm, I'm not giving a straight answer. (laughs) No, no, that's fine. There's probably no straight answer to this question. Uh, but one thing you you have basically talked extensively about the sort of overwhelming positive aspects of this. Um, what are the hard parts? Like, what are the parts that really challenge you? You, I mean, just you know, from a, a sort of social stigma perspective, from you know, society at large. You mentioned that you grew up in Montana. I mean, you alluded to grandparents earlier, but what else? Like, what what do you think that people like me who are not gay uh, don't understand about what it's like to be gay? Uh, in terms of the challenges that you experience as a gay man? I think it's just that there is this like underlying, like, am I safe here thing um, Mm -hmm. that I have. So like I, it, it breaks my heart every time. So my family's all still in Montana 
And I go back there and I, it's so beautiful and I love it there. And it does feel like home because now I live in Portland, Oregon, just to give it perspective. And I am a little bit in a bubble here. And then I will get outside of it and forget, you know, like I'll be with like a boyfriend or something in like a national park holding hands. And then I'll get like, I'll start getting looks. And then I'm sort of like worried if I'm, feeling safe or not, you know? Um, and there is always that little, that little part of like, am I safe? And it, it just really breaks my heart that I don't feel like I could live back in Montana um, at this time. Yeah. And that's it, it, like, th- and I'm kind of a country boy at heart because I grew up somewhat in the country and like, I like the open space and like, I like, that and I love I love Montana and I love outdoor sports and things, but it's it's frustrating that I don't feel like I could just go anywhere. You know, I couldn't move to uh, certain places and feel safe necessarily, and that's that's like an that's like a thing. Um, just that my existence is a threat, and mm. I sometimes think that m- me specifically like because I'm more masculine identifying, it's more threatening to people uh, because I look like them, you know, like, and that's scary, I think, because then they, you know, go like, it's easier if you can go, oh, I'm not that at at all. But if I also, you know, like, I'm wearing a trucker hat, a camo trucker hat or whatever, and, and, and I'm presenting very in a very similar fashion. But then they see me holding hands. It's like that could be a threat. And I've had, I've had people that I know had incidences and things like that. It's, it's a lot less than it probably used to be, but it still does happen. And it is something that I am aware of, you know, in not feeling safe in every space. Yeah. It, it's, it's interesting because I, I kind of, you know, in one way it, it almost you know feels like being an immigrant too because I, funny enough we were talking about montana and you know in 30 years of living in this country my dad never once has you know talked to me about racism and we spent 7 years in texas and mm-hmm. i think it was like right after trump got elected i actually funny enough was going to montana on a flight and uh you know my dad calls me he's like hey where are you? I was like, yeah, I just got out of the water. Uh, he said, and he says, are you traveling this week? And I'm like, yeah. And he said, okay. He said, if anybody says anything to you on an airplane, just keep quiet. And I'm thinking to myself, seriously, like after 30 plus years in this country, you're now concerned about this. <laughs> yeah. But I get it, your point. I mean, it, there's, I, I could see how in certain environments, because I can tell you for damn sure when I got on that plane to Montana, I was the only Indian yeah. on that flight. Yeah. A hundred percent. Yeah, I, uh, it's, it's one of those things is like, I'll be on an airplane and, you know, like I remember one time I was, uh, so like my, the business that I run is a men's underwear company. And so, uh, flight conversations, I sort of have to gauge where, cause the, everyone always asks, well, what do you do? And, and I have to sort of like gauge on how, (laughs) it's like, how gay am I going to go with this conversation? Um, because it's a, it's a, it's underwear for it specifically more caters to the bear community. And, um, and I was having a conversation with a guy and I, he was my target demo cause we make it for larger men. And, um, I didn't catch the fact that he was wearing a Trump hat at the time. 
And then we were like having the conversation and then it got weird. And then I caught the, and then I saw the hat and I was just like, oh no, we've got another hour that we have to sit like basically touching one another. <laughs> and I just made this man super uncomfortable and not okay with, uh, with my lifestyle. <laughs> um, I mean, I was pretty safe on an airplane, I suppose, but, uh, it was, it was an interesting moment. And I definitely, um, pumped the brakes on, on airplane conversations now. <laughs> Yeah. Well, <laughs> let's talk about your uh, stand-up comedy work. Yeah. One, you know, I know that you mentioned part of what prompted you to explore was this <clears throat> way of taking risks that didn't involve broken bones and, you know, the other shit that happens. Like, you know, I, I realized that even as a snowboarder, I'm like, okay, I'm mm -hmm. never going to be somebody who rides park because I'm 40 years old and I started when I'm 30. I'm yeah. at that age where if you break a bone, you're not out for the season, you're out for good. Uh, yeah. Yeah. But so what sort of prompted your interest outside of, you know, this need to take more risks uh, in stand up? I mean, that so I at the time um, I was doing I was a professional snow skater and I had like a pro model and everything. And then I had like a, a couple of really big injuries. And that really was the catalyst to sort of like getting into it. But my history of like, I, I need I call them infinity activities. There's probably it's a, a silly acronym or whatever, but like I need something that you can never master. I need a, that was the other thing that I've always needed. It's like because of skateboarding, snowboarding, that's a thing you never master. Surfing, any of those things. You, it, 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 I realized that my life needed something that had meaning. And I also look for community. I love, and that's one of the aspects about snowboarding, skateboarding, snow skating, any of those, any, any sport um, like that. I love the community aspects. And that's, I started learning through listening to podcasts about the comedy communities and how there is this like this like subculture of of comedians and I really wanted to be a part of that. That was something that was really interesting to me because I I found out that like all of my some of my favorite comedians were all friends and that was like mind blowing to me where I was like, "Oh wow. They're all peers. They're all they're all actually friends and like I want friends I want to be friends with comedians. That was another reason I started comedy is because these, you know, they, these, they kind of, their opinions and the way that they thought really appealed to me. And I've always been kind of a, a silly guy. I've always enjoyed comedy. Comedy was definitely something that I, I think my initial, I don't know, like entry into comedy was honestly like Sesame Street. I was obsessed when I was a little kid. With uh, I loved Sesame Street, which is basically just you know it's like um, it's just sketches, and then it moved to SNL. I was really into SNL in middle school and high school, and and then stand up. I had always sort of followed stand up comedy my whole life, and was really into different comics. And um, and then when I found out that you, it was a thing just like skateboarding. It's like you just go do it. There wasn't really like. I mean, there's there's classes that you can take, but like I got really excited when I found out that you can just literally, if you want to do stand up comedy, just find an open mic and just go try it, you know. Mm, and that was yeah. really really cool to me. So I moved to Minneapolis and started doing stand up, and then ultimately the other piece was um, that's how my sexuality came out. Was it was just like there's so much self reflection that you do when you're trying to write jokes and like understand and you're you're just constantly digging into like okay why 
okay, and then why? And you just kind of trace it all the way back. And it's really hide. It's really hard to hide your sexuality when you're doing that to yourself, at least, is what yeah. I experienced. <laughs> it's funny because I, I took a stand-up class uh, when I lived in San Francisco, and it was an absolute blast. I had so much oh, cool. fun doing that. Uh, but one thing I wonder, and keep in mind, this is before I understood you know, the creative process the way that I do now. And I feel like if I my approach to it now would probably be very different. I think I'd be much more disciplined and structured. Yeah. Um, so what is the the actual creative process for, you know, coming up with a set? I mean, you kind of alluded to a small bit of it in terms of the reflection, but like tactically, what do you actually do to develop a set? So the, it, it's, I mean, it's a, it's an evolving thing. And I think every single stand-up comedian is different in their process. And it's just about, it really comes down to trial and error. If you were to like really break it down, it's like take risks, try something, see if it works. If it doesn't work, adjust. And and you do that throughout each aspect. So when I started and when most people start, they want to write, they want to have the jokes written, memorized, and then they say them and then they just work. And over time, I've sort of reluctantly realized that my process is I just write things down that I say that are funny. Like I'll be in conversation. I'll say something funny. I'll write down something that makes me, that reminds me of that thing I said. And then I'll try to repeat it on stage. And if it works, then I do it again. And then I will expand on that topic. Um, and really, I'm, I'm the type of comedian that's, that writes on stage. I really don't like that. I really wish I could sit down with a notebook and just like, write out brilliant jokes but really i need that that hit of adrenaline because there's this different energy i mean you probably experienced it in the class like when you're on stage it's a totally different thing than just sitting alone with a notebook mm. and it's a very it's almost very conversational and very like it's almost like playing jazz or something you know you you kind of know what notes work and you just play around with it and for me it's just about getting on stage as much as possible. I'm not very good at memorizing stuff is what I realized. And it's become an advantage because I don't memorize any of my jokes. I just say them so many times that I fall into certain patterns. And when you get a laugh, my, my theory behind it is when you get a laugh, that sort of triggers that adrenaline. And hopefully you will remember where, where that was and do more things that trigger adrenaline and less of the things that don't. So you you sort of, I just trust that I will naturally cut out the things that don't work because they're mm. not as fun. They're less pleasurable to do the, you know, the, the things that aren't landing and the things that are landing, I will remember because I got that adrenaline hit from the laugh. So that's my process, I guess. It's a little weird. <laughs> no, no, it's great. I, I, I love looking at how different creators do different things because to me, I feel like there's something I can borrow from every single person that I talk to. It's like, oh, okay, yeah. cool. That's interesting. I can incorporate that into my work. But I, I think you bring up a really interesting point about the sort of difference between being on stage versus, you know, writing in a room. It's the same thing with practicing for, you know, public speaking engagement. When you're in your living room practicing, it's incredibly draining because you don't have the energy of the audience to feed no. off of. You have nothing to sort of gauge, you know, what your sort of level of emotional resonance is. Uh, I used to try, I, I used to try this thing where I would try to keep my dog engaged when I was practicing, um, where I would just, it, 
because you you can do little cheats of like changing the volume of your voice and doing different things because the biggest thing that um, a big a big shift in comedy for me was when uh, I think it was Dave Chappelle or somebody that said it is like be interesting first, funny second. So being engaging is the most important part because if people aren't listening to what you're saying, then you're not going to get laughs and mm-hmm. and just focusing on being a very engaging speaker and finding ways of of doing that has been really fun you know and but you don't know until you're literally in front of people and you just have to keep putting in that time um but i do wish i could just sit in a notebook and and write <laughs> but i can't <laughs> Wow. Um, well, this has been amazing. Uh, you have filled this with all sorts of really interesting gems and fascinating stories. Uh, so I have one final question for you, yeah. which is how we finish all of our interviews. What do you think it is that makes somebody or something unmistakable? Ooh. Um, I think, I mean, for, for me personally, it's, it's what makes something unmistakable is, is when, when time falls away, when, when you, like like when you see an incredible performer and and time has shrunk and you're like wow that was an hour uh i think that's that is like a huge gauge to me of when something is unmistakable is when that time is just when you're like oh my god that where time changes it didn't feel like an hour or it didn't feel like 2 hours you know what whether it's any piece of art or like a great conversation or any of that that's that's what makes it unmistakable to me amazing um well i can't thank you enough for taking the time to join us and share your story your wisdom and your insights with our listeners where can people find out more about you uh your work and everything that you're up to well my uh comedy website is bjornrg.com that has all of my like comedy stuff all my tour dates i'm slowly getting more uh, getting more gigs again as things are opening up uh, I have um, a couple of podcasts. I have this really silly podcast called Five Star Review with Bjorn and David. It's where we review reviewers' reviews and um, we just find silly reviews online and read them and commentate on them. And then I also have uh, another podcast called Size 10 where me and a friend, it's kind of a slice of life, but we talk about sneakers and comedy and you know whatever else is going on. It's, a, it's also a fun time. Those are probably the two best places. Also, um, I'll just plug my business. It's uh, Bearskin Underwear, B-E-A-R-S-K-N.com. It's a, a underwear for big guys. So <laughs> check that out as well. <laughs> Amazing. And for everybody listening, we will wrap the show with that. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Unmistakable Creative Podcast. While you were listening, were there any moments you found fascinating, inspiring, instructive, maybe even heartwarming? Can you think of anyone, a friend or a family member who would appreciate this moment? If so, take a second and share today's episode with that one person because good ideas and messages are meant to be shared. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. 
Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50% to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Have you ever felt a twinge of worry about AI taking over your job or diluting your creativity? Well, what if you could turn that fear into creative fuel? We've just published an amazing new ebook called The Four Keys to Success in an AI World, and this is more than just a guide. It's a deep exploration into the human skills that AI can't touch, the skills that are essential for standing out and thriving no matter how much technology evolved. We're talking about real differentiators here like creativity, emotional intelligence, critical thinking, and much more. Inside, you'll find actionable insights and strategies to develop these skills, whether you're a creative person, a business person, or just simply someone who loves personal development. This isn't a story about tech taking over. It's a story of human creativity thriving alongside AI. Picture this AI as your creative co-pilot, not just as a tool, but a collaborator that enhances your unique human skills. The Four Keys ebook will show you exactly how to do that and view AI in a new way that empowers you instead of overshadows you. Transform your creative potential today. Head over to unmistakablecreative.com slash four keys. Use the number four, K-E-Y-S. That's unmistakablecreative.com slash four keys and download your free copy.